Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and, well, everything in between. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. That's Anish. Uh, so, how was your week? Yeah, not bad. Um, I mean, uh, based on the soccer aspect, we got knocked out of the FA Cup, which wasn't great, but... I didn't. It didn't bother me as much because we pretty much played a bunch of new players. A 16-year-old played, a 17-year-old played, an 18-year-old played as well, which is awesome to see them. Yeah. Mm. How old are you again? I'm 16. How, 16 what do you mean, old. how old are you again? But uh, they lost to Wolves and, hey, you know, the team was out there. We had our chances. Um, but that was that started the new year with two losses. But then today, or yesterday, I should say yesterday, we uh, back on the winning streak and... Uh, I shouldn't say winning streak, starting hopefully a new winning streak, beat um, Brighton. So we're right now seven points in the lead, but Man City has a game in hand. They play tomorrow, so Mm. could be back down to four. Um, And the other thing that was great is, well, well, let's see if you talk about it first. So you can tell me about your week. Wait, no, wait, now I don't know. The other thing that was great? I'm just, how about your week? What what happened this week? Well, I was going to bring up... um, the uh we talked about this a couple episodes ago on i believe episode five i think it was episode five uh where a 13 year old girl went missing and her parents were found dead and this was in wisconsin and then just this week they found her alive and they actually they took someone into custody um but that's she's, awesome that's great that she's, yeah they found her she's alive yeah. and well yep yeah I read a little bit more about it today, and um, it was she. She was the target from the get go, mm. and he. But they don't know if he took her over state lines, which does different things, like different. You get breaks different laws. Oh yeah. So, but um, but yeah, no. But that was what I was thinking. That was not what you were no. thinking. Oh mm. no. I don't know. What? You don't remember. What else did you do this week? Uh. I did uh, school work. There was nothing that happened this week that you're like, oh my God, unbelievable. That was great. Um, I can't remember. Watcha. Oh, oh yeah. You disgust me I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Unbelievable. I'm sorry. Unbelievable. I'm getting really judgmental stares from both my father and my brother right yeah, now. Chris this is nodding in disgust no, too. No, hey, yeah. we can't wave. Nobody can see you wave. I saw you wave and I see your face of disgust. And Oh my God. Do you remember? What did? What was it, Chris? It there. Yeah, I know. I got oh, it. Did you? I got oh, it. When you, <laughs> I, okay. Well, we watched pretty. We watched Luther all the way through. Why? Because season five is coming out, and it's a really good show. And he decided, Dad decided that we can watch it now, so we watched it. It was awesome. It was so good. It's so stressful. Good. Well, that's all. We, don't say anything else because if anybody hasn't seen it, Luther, it's on Netflix. There are four seasons. 
first season's six episodes, second and third were only four, and then the last, the fourth season was only two. It's like a mini movie. But um, the fifth season just got released uh, this past in the UK over right New Year's week. Mm-hmm. So I'm just waiting for it to be on BBC America. Mm-hmm. So watch it. But anyway. Listen, I I thought, it, you know what? I don't actually have anything to say. That's all I've got. Okay. I won't ask any more questions. No, no. Listen. All right. I, I, I never mind. Anything else? Hmm. Uh, no, I don't think that's, I mean, we pretty much binge watched that, so we didn't get to watch anything else. That's pretty much what we did this entire week. I, you know what? I do have one thing that, and this is completely different for, and you know, your brother and I watched <laughs> the Godzilla, <laughs> the one that's on Netflix, the third one in the trilogy. It's the anime one. I am so disappointed. It's, it is. I, <laughs> it, uh, instead of watching that, I just stayed upstairs and watched Twin Peaks. So, you know. Oh my God. I can't. I just thought it was, I, I mean, it's not exactly setting up for King of Monsters, but oh my God, it was so bad. <laughs> well, I didn't get to witness. All right. Anyway, enough of that. Get back. Let's get to your, your story. My story? Okay. Uh, so this week I have kind of a good one. Uh, I am going to tell you, it's a ghost story, uh, and it is the Borley Rectory. I feel like this is that commercial it's okay. He said, kind of a good one. Is it? No, this, listen, this is a good ghost story. All right, good. Okay. I liked researching this one. Well, I didn't know if you were trying to set expectations low to the listeners. No. All right. No. This is a good one. So what was it again? The what? The Borley Rectory. Borley? Like Borley. B-O-R-L-E-Y? Yes. Rectory. Okay. Wait, no. Well, yes, yes. I just misread my own notes. It's fine. Yes. No, okay. Okay. Have you heard of it? No. No. Okay, this is quite a popular one. Uh, so the history uh, was it was this this house, this rectory was built in 1863 um, by a Reverend Henry Bull. Um, and then in a different website, I saw like it called him Harry Bull, but I think it was just mixing his name up with someone else uh, who's in the story. But um, it was built on the site of an ancient monastery, uh, and allegedly in the 13th century, a nun from a nearby nunnery had fallen in love with a monk at the Borley Monastery, and the two had tried to run away together, but they were tracked down. Where are we? We are in England. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a, a prop. It's, hold on. It is one of the most haunted houses in England, okay. if not the most. No. Um, so Where in England? I didn't write that down. That's fine. I should have. Sorry. Hold on. No, just keep going. That's fine. I could literally you go can, to we any can, of We can my... get back to it. Go ahead. Okay, fine. So the monk was executed, and the nun was, according to the legend, bricked up in the cellars of the monastery. Ooh, this sounds good. Yes, so that's where I she... mean, not good for her, but well, no, definitely. it sounds like a good ghost story. <laughs> yes. Um, so the ghost of the nun supposedly wanders up and down a path by the area, which was named Nun's Walk. So Reverend Bull um, had the house built. It's in Essex. Essex. I thought it was in Essex, okay, but I didn't I just wanted to make sure. It. I didn't want to read any more, so I just wanted to see where it was. So I... Okay, go ahead. Okay. 
um so he had the house built um overlooking the pathway uh so that he could observe the activity so he already knew about this when he moved there he wanted to see it for himself okay um so he moved in with his family uh and the ghost of the nun began to startle the guests of the house uh she would peer in through the window at them from outside uh and because of this what, what year are we now this is 1863 so this is 1863 okay yeah. i'm sorry I, I, then you said 13th century my mistake okay. oh yeah well that was the that was when the nun died and now in 1863 he built the house on the land okay um so she would peer in the through the window and because of this servants just kept quitting because they were they didn't want to mess with that you know so then um the reverend's daughters he had at least three daughters uh one account said he had four but this only lists three um they all saw a ghost quote gliding across the lawn in broad daylight uh so that's awesome just so i'm glad it was daylight yeah you're glad it was daylight (laughs) Um, okay, so I, this is an account, and it's from an article in the Daily Mirror. Uh, so it happened on the 28th of July. Uh, and I wrote 1900, but I feel like it, that would not be accurate if they... Maybe if they built it in 63, then, I don't know. 1900, possibly. Uh, so uh, at first there were, there were two sisters outside, Ethel and Frida Bull. And they were returning to the rectory from a party, like a summer party. Uh, and they saw, quote, a female figure with a bowed head dressed entirely in black in the garb of a nun. So the girls became frightened and one of them ran inside to get the other, their other sister, Elsie. Uh, and so reportedly Elsie told her sister, quote, what nonsense, I'll go and speak to it. Right, so. So she, they're telling her, "Oh my God, there's a ghost nun outside," and her sister's like, "I'll go talk to the ghost nun." Well, she didn't think it was a ghost. Okay. They were like, "There's this creepy like ghost nun." She's like, "Sure, all right, you know, I'll just go. Don't worry about it. I'll prove you wrong." Yeah. Okay. So So, Elsie's now going. She's like, you know, Ghostbusters type thing. Yeah, she's Ghostbusters. So she came out into the yard, and the nun turned and faced her before vanishing into thin air. Uh, so that's their experience with seeing the nun. So Elsie now is a believer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then other apparitions started to happen. Um, so there was a coach drawn by horses that um, could be heard and seen making its way up the rectory's driveway. Um, and then the Bull family stayed in the house, but they eventually died off in 1927. And um, the house was sold to Reverend Guy Eric Smith and his wife, Mabel. So they experienced uh, their own, like, phenomena. So they heard mysterious footsteps. They heard doorbells ringing by themselves. They saw strange lights. They heard ghostly whispers. They saw a headless man. Uh, They saw a girl, like a little girl, in white. Uh, They saw the apparition of Henry Bull. Well, I'm just trying to figure, so, all, but the whole story was because it was a nun that was. That's how it began. And then other things started to happen. So, but the, so from the time that that rectory 
the monastery before the rectory was built, I guess. Mm-hmm. The monastery, they're saying other bad things happened to the monastery. Um, it doesn't say that. I was, You'll see later like how um, there's a guy who investigates that house. Yeah, who I doesn't... find the suspect. I find like this dude is just trying to like make a buck. <laughs> well, just okay. keep listening. All right. Uh, so they saw the apparition of Henry Bull. Uh, and then before I continue, this is a picture of the house. That just looks spooky because it's black and white and it's, you know, all fuzzy. Yeah, I mean. But it looks spooky. What can you do? But yeah, that's the house. Um, and so at one point, uh, Mabel discovered a brown paper parcel. And inside there was a small human skull. You, a paper parcel that was delivered to her, or I just think like it was laying just in around. The house. So there was a paper parcel. So basically, that's a wrapped up skull. So then, um, Reverend Guy Eric Smith took the skull and buried it in the churchyard that was right near the house. And then on his way back, he walked past uh, this room called the Blue Room. And as he was walking like past it, he heard the whispering of the words, Don't, Carlos, don't. Okay. And there's nothing further on that. Um, so then in 1928, which is the year after they moved in, uh, the couple reported their experience to the Daily Mirror, uh, who then arranged for a medium uh, and who is also a paranormal investigator. Okay. Uh, named Harry Price to investigate. That dude's famous, isn't he? Isn't he like the... F- he's, yes, he's He's famous. their version of... Well, no, because the Warrens were a bunch of hoaxers. And uh, this guy was trying to disprove things, or is he like um, to prove? Well, he's a medium, so... Okay. I think he's proving it's real. Okay. Um, But yeah, he's pretty famous. I was looking at his website... Because uh, I had a little bit of stuff on so this. He's, so he's just as, he's like the Warrens, before the Warrens. I mean, yeah, yeah. But he did like, like pour himself into these cases. Well, yeah, but, but he was the guy you called. Yeah, he's the, he was the guy you called. Okay. Uh, so he didn't believe in the nun-monk tale thing. Oh, okay. So he goes in as a skeptic. Yes. Oh, okay. That's better than the Warrens. He, th- he thought that the ghosts had appeared because of a murder. Okay. But just you wait. Um, once he arrived, a bunch of paranormal occurrences started happening. Objects were smashed. Stones were thrown at Price. Um, all of this occurred by unseen forces. Uh, and he held a seance um, during which he claimed to have gotten in touch with the spirit of Reverend Henry Bull, who did die on the property. Okay. Um, and the Smiths ended up, they were too terrified by the ghostly happenings, so they left in 1930. Um, so since they left, uh, Harry Price leaves too. <laughs> okay. Um, but he comes back. All right. So the next person who came into possession of the house was Reverend uh, Lionel Foister. Uh, and the activity worsened. So, so was this like a practicing place? Like, did they, or this was just where the priests lived? Like, is the rectory like the home? Like, the, I think it is. It's just basically like a uh, 
Okay, got it. All right, so I this is I don't know much about Christianity, so. All right. so. all right, so this other reference in now. Yes, Foister. And things get worse. Yeah, so uh, it became more violent. Um, glasses were smashed. Windows were broken. People were locked out of rooms that didn't have locks, I think. Uh, household items vanished, and not just like, oh, oh, no, I lost my hair tie. Like, for example, um, Reverend Foister's wife, um, Marianne. Got lot like, vanished? She's not a household object. Well, in those times. In those it, times. It weren't just right. women property at that point? <laughs> okay, well, uh, she took off her watch to wash her hands, and then when she turned to put the watch back on, the strap had vanished, but the like actual watch face So the timepiece is there, there, but the, the Strap. straps were gone. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's kind of creepy. Yeah, and also really inconvenient. Yeah, I'm trying to think. What are they? Well, all right. But Maybe they had a ghost like, watch, and they're like, I need these things. <laughs> I need these straps for my exactly. ghost watch. <laughs> um, so furniture would be moved around, and the activity centered around Marianne. Uh, she was thrown from her bed by an unseen force at one point. Uh, she would have heavy objects thrown at her. Oh, she man. was slapped around by this like unseen force. Once, she was almost suffocated by a mattress. Uh, and then the most famous part of this haunting is that messages that seemed to be addressed to her began to appear on the walls of the house and sometimes it would happen as people were watching just messages appearing as if being written so i have some pictures of them but first i'm going to read out what they say what year is this again uh 1930 the 30s 1930 all right yeah yeah 1930 so messages um most of them were unintelligible, but there were three uh, that I found that were, like, able to be read. So there's Marianne, please help get. Uh, please for help and prayers. Please without the E at the end. And Marianne, light mass prayers. So let me get a picture of those up. Oh, this is Marianne, by the way. She just looks creepy. She does look creepy. I mean, anyone in those like old-timey portraits just looks really creepy. So these are the messages. So she tried to communicate with it. Um, like she was like writing to it, but... She's writing on the wall too? Yes. That's her in all caps there. The I cannot understand. Tell me more. That's her. Then that stuff is the unseen force. It, so she wasn't holding the pen, writing that on the wall thing. It just... It that, disappeared. It's the same pen color. Well, it's a black and white photograph. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Um. So, yeah, so she would try to communicate with it. And then after the writing started appearing, uh, Lionel had the house exercised. And at first, it seemed to be a success. The manifestations came to a halt. But then, not long after, the activity took on a new form. So, strange music could be heard from the nearby church, which I feel like there could be an explanation for that, like, you know, playing music at the nearby church. I'm trying to think, like, what, what kind of music? I could get no further than strange music, so. Okay. I don't know how much I buy into that one. Okay. Uh... 
servants' bells would ring by themselves. Um, communion wine would, quote, unaccountably turn into ink. Hmm. Um, and the Foister's child, uh, an adopted daughter named Adelaide, was attacked by, quote, something horrible. And I think she was slapped in her sleep. Oh, man. Yeah. So this proved to be too much for the family, and they moved out after five years on the property. So it's 1937 now, and our good friend Harry Price uh, decides that he's going to rent the house okay. for himself. So he placed an ad in the Times on May 25th, 1937, for, quote, trustworthy assistance. And the ad read, Haunted House, responsible persons of leisure and intelligence, intrepid, critical, unbiased, are invited to join Rhoda of Observers in a year's night and day, uh, in a year's night and day investigation of alleged haunted house in home counties. Printed instructions supplied. Scientific training or ability to operate simple instruments in advantage. House situated in a lonely hamlet, so own car is essential. Write box H.989, the Times, EC4. Okay. Um, so he ended up with a team of 48 other observers, and they all began to log the activity that occurred. So they were there for a year. Um, so apparently they witnessed like not as much activity that was consistent but from like some of the more notable events that i have it's pretty like insane so um during one seance with a planchette a spirit named marie Lair spoke to price and said that she had been a nun in france but had left to marry a man named henry waldgrave who was a member of a wealthy family whose manor had once stood on the site of the rectory. Uh, while there, uh, her husband had strangled her and buried her remains in the cellar. Okay. So Price believed that this correlated to the messages written to Marianne Foister and that the grounds where Marie had been buried were not consecrated and so she could not rest until she was given a, po- a proper burial. Did they look for the bones? Yes. Okay. Hold on. We're right. getting there. Right. But well, we have I, to wait start... a couple years. Oh, my God. Well, just... Okay. Hold on. So then on March 27th in 1938, he held another seance at the house. And he was told by the ghosts of the house that the rectory would catch fire in the hallway that night and burn down. And a nun's body would be found among the wreckage. Okay. It did not happen that night so later that year price's lease ran out and he left and a man named captain wh gregson moved in and he was immediately subjected to the hauntings as well uh his two dogs both mysteriously disappeared i never found them Ooh, that's not good no it's not and then or they just ran away and they're like we're getting out of dodge i mean maybe maybe they they sense everything so yeah true dogs are like really sensible Yeah. So exactly 11 months after the March 27th seance, an oil lamp fell over randomly in the hallway and the entire house burned to the ground. Um, As the house was burning, witnesses claimed to have seen figures roaming around in the fire, 
including the face of a nun peering down from an upper window. Um, however, it is theorized that Gregson had started the fire himself. Uh, he bought the house for only 500 pounds. So, for insurance. And insured it for 10,000 pounds. Okay. And his son also stated years after the fire that Gregson had said it himself. Gotcha. Um, but even after the fire, the hauntings uh, continued. The house was just like a charred wreckage at this point. Nobody could live in it, and it wasn't fixed. Uh, so a chauffeur heard the invisible phantom coach, well, I guess just driving past it. Um, a group of friends saw a girl in white looking through the burned window of the blue room, and the floor was completely burned away. So there's no way anybody could be standing there. Yeah. Uh, army officers tried to use this site during the war, but they found that stones were thrown at them, and the house had a generally negative energy, so they gave up. Well, they also didn't have a roof. I mean. Yeah. And then apparently there's just, there was one surviving cottage. Oh, okay. Part of it, uh, which I forgot about. So from 1947, oh wait, actually I'm going to do this and then go back up to that. So um, in 1943, Harry Price returned once more to the house. He just can't quit that house. He cannot, no. He doesn't give up. So while digging in the cellars, he found, drum roll please. I don't know. No general. The jawbone of a woman. That's no okay. Never mind then. Um, I bet you he brought it with him. Okay. Well, you know what? He believed uh, that it was part of the nun who haunted the area and attempted to stop the hauntings by giving the bone quote a Christian burial. So the next. So, you're saying that if you just take, like, the pinky bone of something and say, okay, here we go, we're going to bless this, and all it's gone. I don't know. I Doesn't the rest of the body still haunt you? I don't know. All right. There's just one part of the jaw that's not there. Well, I'm just thinking this thing's walking around. Properly. You have to find all exactly. the bones. Just imagine you, like, forget I would think one. you need 50%. 50% of a body. 51, sorry. 51%. 51%. Yeah, or 50.1. Whichever one it is. <laughs> a majority of the body needs to be. 50.0001. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Um, so the next year, the house was demolished. And then the surviving cottage, I think, was built. Or I don't know exactly how that worked. but They after... built something else on the property. Yes. Okay. Um, so from 1947 to 1950... James and Alice Turner um, were living there, and they claimed that during the summer they would hear the voices and laughter of children, as well as heavy footsteps. Um, and so the grounds are still accessible today, and people visiting the site since then have still reported supernatural occurrences that suggest that that burial was unsuccessful. Uh, and then Harry Price died in 1948, and since then, people have dissected his work and attempted to disprove that any supernatural phenomena occurred. Uh, but he, like, he was very controversial. A lot of people have tried yeah, to there's debunk some, him. I think, yeah, I remember some books and there's some other stories and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But um, so now do people go there and try to do paranormal, paranormal investigations? Um, I don't know if it's like more like a tourist attraction during the day kind of thing. But I don't know what the, 
You're um, telling me there's not a BuzzFeed about this yet? I don't think there is. Okay. Okay, so here's a couple of photos of like the burned house. Yep. Um, and then this, I think is it might be my next photo. Uh, this right here from the website I got it from was saying that this was just like a floating brick. But I don't know. No. I don't think not. it is. It seems like kind of a stretch to me. Yeah. Um, okay, and then this is another of it burned. And then one more, I think. Nope. Okay. So that is the Borley Rectory. I like the story about the, you know, bricked up nun. Yeah, I think. Sets the tone. I th- I was a fun story to research. Yeah, I liked it. It's there good. was a lot of information. Um, but yeah, that's what I got. Not bad. All right. Uh, why don't you tell me a story then? I shall. Unbelievable. <laughs> your teeth going to come out of your nose. It is. All right. Time for my story. Maybe you'll pay attention. Hey, I do yeah. pay attention to your stories. Yeah, yeah. Once you're done, you're done. I can tell. No. Next time I'm going to videotape some of this to see how no. you're just like trying not to yawn as much as you do. I just, okay, I can't control my yawning. Mm-hmm. I just yawn sometimes. I am interested in your okay. story. Okay, yeah, whatever. No, I swear. All right, anyway, my story is a true crime story. Um, it's a murder, homicide, takes place in 1947. Fun. Uh, hey, our stories coincide again. No, yours was 18-something. Yeah, but then it right, ended stop, like... It, stop, stop, And I specifically said 1947 in it, oh so... Oh, my God. Coincides. All right, this one, um, the... Uh, I'm just going to start it off with just the background of the story, and then we'll go from there, okay? All right. So, this person was born in Hyde, uh, Hyde Park, Massachusetts. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's close. All right. So Elizabeth Short was born on July 29th, <gasps> 1924. No! In you Hyde said Park. You- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You told me you weren't going to do this because it didn't interest you. <laughs> All right. So let's go with it anyway. So oh. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29th, 1924 in Hyde Park, Massachusetts to Cleo and Phoebe Short. She grew up in Medford, Medford, Medford Mass, and had four siblings. Um. Elizabeth she grew up near where Jackie lives because Jackie told us to do this. And she Elizabeth said. had some health problems, mainly asthma, and the New England winters really didn't help her asthma. Oh my God, I feel you, girl. The Shorts were a modest family. Cleo designed and built miniature golf courses. Ooh. Did you know that? Did not. Oh, okay. Unfortunately for Cleo, as well as many businesses around this time, they would suffer... Because the stock market, uh, stock, uh, the stock market crashed in 1929, mm. which led to the Great Depression. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's 47, it, right? No, no, this is the Great Depression. 1929 was the Great Depression. Yeah, I know, but you said that it's 47 right now, isn't it? What? What time? What year is it right now? She was born July 29th, 1924. I'm starting from when. Uh, I thought you said nine, and we were in 1947. No, that's right what now. I said when the when the right. crime takes place. Okay, my bad. Please continue. You just don't listen. No, you, you just don't listen. In 1930, the pressure of his business failing would cause Cleo to do the unthinkable. One day, he would say goodbye to his family and drive his car to a bridge. Oh no! Later, it would be found abandoned. And the scene pointed to suicide. Oh, that's not good. 
Phoebe was devastated. And it wasn't completely clear if she knew how bad the business, like his job, you know, was doing and right. all those kind of things. But like, did they get life insurance? Is that what uh, the reason was? I don't know. Um, but she, well, yeah. no, because, I mean, she must have been aware that things were bad because it was the Great Depression. However, um, she would learn that now that the company was in bankruptcy. So she had to deal with the bankruptcy because. Oh, right? that's just. And then, and. You know, there was Elizabeth and then four of the kids. And then she had to deal with four children. She had to raise four Holy children. Holy moly. So she would take multiple jobs to support this kid, this family. Okay. A few years later, Phoebe would get another shock. Mm. She would be contacted by the dead Cleo. Oh, wait a minute. He had faked his suicide and he moved to California. Buddy. And after he he admitted that he had made a terrible mistake. Yeah. And he wanted to reconcile. Yeah. He wanted to come back home. Yeah. Phoebe said, uh, no. Yeah, good for her. Claps all around. So it's not clear if this part, like her father doing all these things, had an effect on Elizabeth in her early years. I but, think it would. But if it did, you know, her friends really didn't notice anything. Um, Elizabeth would find her happy place basically at the movies. So that's where she would escape. And she would frequent the theater as much as any chance she could get. Um, Her friends would call her Medford's Deanna Durbin. Hmm. Deanna Durbin was uh, only three years older than Elizabeth and had made her screen debut in 1936 at the age of 15. By the early 40s, Durbin would be in four films. um, And she was a household name. She was both an actress and a singer. She, I think in her debut, she actually uh, debuted with Judy Garland. Um, Whoa, I was even thinking Judy Garland, like when you were about to say it. Um, Elizabeth was a very attractive girl. She had jet black hair, light blue eyes, and all of that would be accentuated because of her pale skin. Mm. So it just like would pop. Um, Some of the quotes that were in her yearbook were, to a friend worth having in Medford High's Deanna Durbin, to the sweetest and cutest double of Deanna Durbin. There were about 10 other messages in her yearbook that referenced you know the, the mm-hmm. resemblance and things like that however elizabeth did not want to be known only as durbin's doppelganger she wanted to be in hollywood and famous she would get both those things well yeah her path to hollywood not be a direct route not that many are she would do a lot of odd jobs along the way some noble and some not so uh, but wherever she went she would make an impression people would take notice of her beauty and style the patrons of one particular bar or a uh, drugstore, I should say, not bar, in lo- the Long Beach area in California um, would give her her nickname. Um, it was derived from a popular noir movie at the time. However, she wouldn't gain fame until January, January 15th, 1947. The day before this episode comes out. That morning, Betty Bursinger would be taking her three-year-old for a walk when she would discover the naked, bisected body of Elizabeth Short or the Black Dahlia. Bum, bum, bum. It's a good intro. Is it time? Is it time? Time for the crime timeline. Crime timeline. Crime timeline. All right. So I'm just going to go back a little bit to get to her, how she got to California and that kind of thing. And then we'll go into stuff. Um, and it's true. Yeah. I, I, I knew enough about it, but then I was like, all right, fine. I, I, I started going through it and I was already into like three pages and I was like, I can't <laughs> stop this now. I'm just going to have to finish it. Um, but yeah, I mean. I definitely learned more about this, the case and that kind of thing. Did you become more interested in it? No. Oh. No. Okay. Well, whoops. 
just kidding. It was, it, it, there was just, it's just weirdest. There's like, there's a, some crazy websites. So there was, just before I go further, the my resources were um, the University of North Carolina has a big, huge, uh, uh, I don't know if somebody did their thesis or something on, on this case, but I got a lot of information from there. Um, the FBI has, because it's a, it's a yeah. unsolved case. There's a, uh, there's you can dig into some stuff too mm-hmm. but whenever it's not i don't know if it's classified or released um wikipedia of course but rolling stone just released an article late last year with somebody who believes uh or has named who they think the killer is Ooh. and i will go into that um and then there was this one that was you know like somebody's hobby website uh the black dahlia in hollywood.com which has so much detail and interviews and has aggregated so much information that if you really want to learn more, you should go, go to there. that site wow. because there's a Cambridge connection. Um, really? Yeah, there's, well, I mean, not to the murder, but just people that were in her life and her that passed through her life. Huh. Um, it's because it, a lot of people went to California, so people came back. Um, it, it just was weird. They have pictures of like old Cambridge and things like that on there too. Biography wow. had some stuff. And then, uh, and there was a couple other places, but the majority of it was basically the North Carolina and, um, I mean the North Carol- the web the University of North Carolina, and then the the Rolling Stone piece plus some of the FBI things. Okay, so academics weren't Elizabeth Short's strong suit. Mm. Yeah, uh, I by, relate. By her sophomore year, she basically dropped out of high school. Oh, never mind. And, uh, and, you know, she wa- she wanted a model. She wanted to get to Hollywood. That was kind of her thing. Right. Her mother was like, yeah, not so sure about that. Tell you what, why don't you go move to Florida, live with your relatives. It'll be better for your asthma. You know, you won't be dealing with these cold, harsh winters. Right. So she would go down to Florida and then in the um, summers come back up hmm. to New England. Um, but because of that, she kind of got the travel bug. She would travel by herself. Right. Be got the whole one wanderlust and everything like that kind of thing. Um, so in the following years, she would have her handful of male suitors. Mm. But this is what's kind of interesting. So she wasn't. Um, she was a good girl. Like I don't know how to say it. Right. I mean that kind of thing. She, but she had the ability to make these male suitors pay for everything. You right? know. So hotels. Good for her. Uh, food like that because she just didn't have money so Mm. and she pretty much lived from hotel moved from hotel to hotel all expenses paid nice she would write her mother weekly just to tell her how things were going and that she was fine Um, today i got johnny to buy me a new car today i uh, got martin to buy my whole hotel stay she also though started to correspond with her father in california all right. And her mom was not happy about that. And That's fair. Kind of like just poo-pooed the whole idea about just leaving. Just yeah, I don't blame her. But again, she couldn't stop her. Elizabeth was on her own. She just, she was independent and, you know, yeah. could do what she wanted. By 1943, mm-hmm. so she's now, what was she? She's like almost, I think she's 18 now. All right. Um, almost, I don't think she, cause she's July. So I think it's early January of 43, 18. She would move to Vallejo, California, to be with her dad. All right. And it was short-lived because yeah. Cleo got immediately fed up with his daughter because she would sleep in all day, uh, party all night. That's living the life. So he would pretty much say, you're done, and he kicked her out of the house. 
Elizabeth Damn. would find her way down to L.A. to start her next chapter of her life. So, so in 43 now, she would also have her fingerprints entered into the FBI's database, not once, but twice. Damn. The first time was a legit reason. She applied to be a clerk at an army commissary in Camp Cook. So part of their background check and everything like that. Oh, right. Fingerprints, okay. things like that. The second time, she would be charged with underage drinking in Santa Barbara. <laughs> oh, my God. And due to that arrest, the police sent her back to, to Massachusetts because she was underage. Oh. She didn't stay there long and just came right back to California. <laughs> wow, you really can't stop her. But this time, she went to Hollywood. And during this second stint, um, she met up with uh, Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Fickling and was smitten. So when she was in Florida, she also met a bunch of, because wherever her parent or her relatives lived was by an army base. So she really got into the whole army scene kind of thing. And, you know, she was looking for a husband. Like that was um, trying to find a husband. Right. So some people said that she actually met Fickling when she was in Florida hmm. and then just, you know, met up with him again when he was in California. But she, again, she was, in love with him and thought this was the guy she was going to marry, but he got um, deployed because Aww. of World War II. So he's now World War II, so that ended. She stayed in Hollywood. Do Holly- we know if he died? No, he comes back. Okay. She stayed in Hollywood for some time and you know got some online gigs, that kind of thing. Um, but she started to get a little bit jaded by the whole scene, mm. and she went home over the Christmas holidays, so December, I guess, of 43. And... Instead of returning right back to Hollywood after s- hanging with her family in, in Medford, she went back down to Florida hmm. to stay with her fl- relatives. Again, warmth. And while she was there, she met another guy, Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr. He was a decorated wow. Army Air Force officer. And he would also get deployed. Oh, no. While, well, I mean, it was World War II. It's going on, gets deployed for the war. And it was in India. And, but he promised that they would marry when he would come back and the way there's a couple of their stories but so he was in india his got sh- shot something happened like there was his, his plane crashed so he was um in a hospital getting he was okay mm-hmm. um and that's where they were saying there were letters written back and forth between elizabeth and um this major and that's when he said yeah i'll marry you kind of thing okay um unfortunately he healed up got back in his plane and he would have another he'd get another plane crash no. two weeks before the war um, ended and he died. <gasps> no, which kind of threw Elizabeth also for a loop. Yeah, that's awful. So she kind of mourned for a while, um, and then in '46 she found out that Fickling mm. was in California again, Long Beach. Oh, so she basically kind of met up with him in between this period of time, and then decided that okay. He's the one. I mean, he was the original. We're get, I'm going back to him. So she w- goes down into Long Beach. You know, she had a pl- You know, she was living, you know, Medford, Florida, Hollywood. Right, that yeah. Kind of thing. So she was like kind of all over the place. But she went to Long Beach, moved to Long Beach, and uh, they would start dating. And I think she thought this was the one, that kind of thing. And they ended up going to this place. In, they were just kind of traveling around, and then she was in this hotel area in in, uh, in Long Beach as well. But around the August time frame, they were in the hotel. They actually uh, registered as man and wife kind of thing. But something they it ended there, like oh. the relationship ended. She stayed, he left. Again, 
no cash. Yeah. So she decided to basically she started befriending other single women and they became their roommates, that kind of thing. So she again mm. didn't have to pay for everything at first, but she did try to get a job and she did get a job waitressing and this other thing. Um, but with that relationship over with Fickling, she met this other guy, this guy named Mark Hansen. All right. He owned the Florentine Gardens nightclub and the Marcel Theater. And she began a relationship with him, but it was not a healthy relationship. Oh, you know, no. lots of fighting. People would talk about that. They would hear this and that kind of thing. Um, but he had a house behind the nightclub. Huh. And in that house, he would just let young women stay there that were down on their luck. So multiple women would be living there showgirls, aspiring actresses, basically anybody right. that needed some place to stay. He had a family, kids. Mm. Apparently he was estranged at that time from, from them. But people would say that during this relationship with Mark Hansen, Elizabeth was just not herself. She would be very quiet, reserved, obedient in a way, basically huh. controlled, you know. That's, that's sad. She made that kind of her home base, so she did leave and come back here and there, that kind of for a while, while for that summer. Um, and she would spend short stints in Southern California. Mm. And then in December of '43, I mean '46, '46, December '46, she moved to San Diego. Just I, and the reason what other people say is that she was she was in fear of Mark Hansen. Um, people said that when they found her at one point, she was just like, I got out of here. So she left and went to San Diego. No one's there. I'm not sure if she thought Fickling was still around or whatever, but she ended up basically falling asleep in this theater. And this woman, Dorothy French, who worked at the theater, found her asleep and felt bad and said, hey, you know what? You can stay with, with me at my mom's place. Oh, that's nice. Until you can, you know, get your legs and, you know, find a place and, you know, just take a couple of days to figure out that you could get an apartment. She stayed for a month. Oh, oh my. And she wasn't the greatest house guest. You know, basically the, the deal was help clean, do this, do cook, that kind of thing, and it wasn't happening. Um, and her habit of sleeping it and partying right. at night kept was alive and well. And then during that period of time, she met this guy, Robert Red Manley. Red was his nickname. All right. An L.A. salesman who had a pregnant wife at the time. And after overstaying her welcome with... The French's right. Manly would come pick her up on January eighth, nineteen forty six, and take her to a hotel, pay for the hotel, and they would go out to some party that evening. Apparently, he slept on the bed; she slept on the couch. Okay. The next morning, on the ninth, Manly would take would drive her back to L.A. and drop her off at the Biltmore Hotel. All right. It was the last time anyone had seen her alive. This is January... January 9th, 1947. Oh, you said 46 before. Well, it was December 46 when she... I know, but you said January 8th, 1946 at first. Oh, my mistake. It's 47. You're right. 1947. Okay. I thought the last time she was seen was at the Cecil Hotel. Biltmore. Unless... I know the Cecil Hotel changed their name, so... It might be to Biltmore. Hold on. On January 15th, Betty Bersinger was on her way to a shoe repair shop. She was with a three-year-old daughter. And as they made their way through this vacant lot, she noticed something white in the weeds. And she thought someone had just thrown away a mannequin, a store mannequin. And she was just like... It's never, ever a mannequin. And she just thought it was odd, you know. 
because it also appeared it was in two pieces. Mm. So she almost left at that, you know, decided to keep going. And then something in her head just made her turn back. And she went back and realized that that wasn't a mannequin, <laughs> but a woman cut in half. She immediately went to the first time she could find to call the police. When the police arrived, they came across a, one of the most gruesome scenes pretty much ever recorded. Her body was found as if she was lying on her back. Well, her was found with her lying on her back. Wow. Her upper torso had her arms raised above her shoulders. Oh. Her mouth was sliced to extend the, from her smile from ear to ear. Oh. Her lower to- torso had her legs spread eagle and also in a sexual position. They the the torsos the, the upper and lower were separated by ten inches apart. Oh. And off to the side, one was to the side. There were cuts and abrasions all over her body. There were rope marks on her wrist, ankles, and neck. And her body was so cleanly cut, just with precision, that it was, they, it was, the people just couldn't believe, just couldn't believe how clean the cut was. Right. And there was hardly any blood found huh. at the scene. Wow. Um, I looked it up. It's not the Biltmore. It's, it, they changed it to the Stay On Main Hotel. So, I was wrong. Okay. Just wanted to clarify that for myself okay so this is the report the actual police report of the scene from the officer that was there mm-hmm. and i quote the body was lying with the, with the head towards the north the feet towards the south the left leg was five inches west of the sidewalk the body was laying fi- face up and the severed part was jogged over about 10 inches the upper half of the body from the lower half there was a tire track right up against the curbing and there was what appeared to be a possibly a bloody heel mark in the in the tire mark. Huh. And on the curbing, which was very low, there was also one spot of blood. And there was an empty paper cement sack lying in the driveway and also had a spot of blood on it. It had been brought there from some other location. The body was clean and appeared to have been washed. Huh. It only took an hour to identify the body. Well, yeah. Because Elizabeth had her fingerprints... In, in the, the database. database. The autopsy report stated that the cause of death was hemorrhage and shock due to concussion of the brain and lacerations of the face. There were numerous cuts in a crisscross pattern over her pubic area, and her pubic hair was removed by hand. Her body was bisected post-mortem, and huh. immediately the crime was labeled the werewolf murder. The werewolf murder. I hadn't heard that one before. It was a couple days later that the press would refer to it as the Black Dahlia murder. When researching Elizabeth's past and her life in L.A., they talked to a drugstore in Long Beach where, the, where patrons saw her over and over. And they said they called her the Black Dahlia because of her jet black hair and her penchant to wear black. And also because at the time, the movie or the film, the Blue Dahlia, was playing. And oh. it was a North, so, so she got her nickname based on that. Mm. From the get-go, investigation was completely flawed. There were corruption throughout the L.A. department. Rumors were flying around that an important Hollywood producer, director, or an organized crime players were involved. Mm. On January 23rd, the examiner received a call from a man claiming to be the killer. He was upset over the coverage and how the story was being portrayed in the paper. To prove his claim, he promised to mail some of Elizabeth's belongings. The caller fulfilled his promise and sent a package with a letter that was basically like a ransom note. You know, they cut out things from magazines and things like that. And the package included her birth certificate, photographs, 
business cards, and an address book. And on in the address book, what was written on the top cover of the address book? The mm-hmm. Mark Hansen. Huh. Just kind of odd. Kinda. <laughs> Elizabeth's handbag and her shoe were found in a trash can on the same day that that package arrived at the examiner. Oh wow. More letters were sent to all different press, host of them, and most of them were just hoaxes, but they were all written in that same ransom note manner. However, one of them basically said that, you know, if I, w- I will turn myself in if I don't um, finally get 10 years. Like, that was the kind of thing. Oh, my God. So all this is happening. It's all over the press now. You know, the pictures everywhere. Her mom, they when they called her mom, she didn't believe it. She just was like, there's no way she's dead, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so when it came to the suspects, over 60 people confessed. Oh, my God. To the murder. But they didn't have any details of the scene. Why would you confess to a murder you didn't commit? They had 120 interesting subjects, you know, suspects in that case. However, over the 70 years now, I guess 71 two years yeah um they've it's been narrowed down to a few and these are the people well mark hansen okay and he was the number one suspect just because the book right um he was she was living with him you know before she moved to to uh, san diego they had they heard all these stories about how they weren't they were in a rocky relationship yeah. that she was fearing for her life so all that kind of came out so he was a prime suspect another was dr george hodell Okay. He was just a famous, I shouldn't say famous, he was a prominent doctor in the Hollywood area. Um, and he, he had a other run-ins with the law. Apparently there was, um, I don't know if it was his daughter who accused him of molesting him, molesting her. So there was a trial. He got, he, you know, he was huh. uh, found, he was um, uh, acquitted. exonerated. Yeah, acquitted. Um, but... They ended up tapping his room, his house for years, for like two to three years. Oh, wow. To see if they could find out if he had something involved with um, Elizabeth Short. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the recordings from when he was under surveillance. So this, is from, this is in 1950, so three years later, right? Quote, this is his voice. Realized there was nothing I could do. Put a pillow over her head and cover her with a blanket. Get a taxi. Expired at 1259. They thought there was something fishy anyway. And now they may have figured it out. Killed her. So that was just kind of things that they found there. Another one. Suppose and I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. Oh, wow. His secretary died of a drug overdose. Hmm. Um, George died in 1999. And in 2003, George's son, who is now, who was an, he, he's a, Stephen, is an LAPD um, okay. detective. He wrote a book saying it was his dad he believed all the evidence he had found over the years and just things that had happened things that they talked about i think at one point he even said that he had heard um him talking that he'd killed her oh and wow so the, again that's all conjecture there's a book about it hmm. apparently somebody the, the police basically said that yeah it's probably him and people are like yeah you're just taking steve's word for it so so there's a camp that believes it was this guy okay Another person, Leslie Dillon, a.k.a. Jack Sands. And he filed a lawsuit um, when he was being uh, targeted or he was considered a suspect. And 
basically the police screwed it all up and all the things that they found about him what ended up being inadmissible in court. Oh. So he sued for like $100,000. So it was really ugly, but because of that, they could do nothing right. again, so they couldn't really touch him. But this, uh, there was a, the, from the Rolling Stone article, this woman, I can't remember her first name, her last name's Eatwell, but she's, she's from the UK, but she's been doing research on this, and she just released a book, I think, maybe in 2017, but huh. the article's from 2018. She believes that three people were involved. Leslie was the killer, mm-hmm. Mark Hansen, and this other guy named Jack Connors. Um, so in 1949, after being tasked to investigate the murder, the gangster squad of, of the LAPD police f- went to extraordinary lengths to try to figure mm. out if this was the yeah. guy. And they almost, they, and they, you know, they were going after him because he had sent a letter under the pseudonym Jack Sands to the LAPD's chief police psychiatrist, Dr. Joseph Paul de, R- de River, or I guess de River de Riviere, I don't know. Mm. Dylan suggested that an acquaintance named Jack Connors may have killed Short as a revenge after she threatened to reveal an affair um, not considered proper by the average person. So I don't know if sure if Jack was um, gay or not. Or someone oh, like. yeah, right. Um, wow. And then DeRivers believed that Connors was uh, was nothing more than a figment of Sand's imagination. imagination or Dylan's projected imagination. But they found out later that Connors did exist because they did track this guy down. Huh. Um, and then Dylan knew some a major amount of detail about the murder that police had never released. And oh. and they believe that he, he actually murdered her in a separate room because he was a bellboy at the Bel- Biltmore at one point. And then he also was at a hotel, the Astor Hotel, where they believe that's where she was killed. Huh. I'll explain that a little bit more. So they held Dylan for a week and then they released him because then they found Jeff Connors who offered a conflicting statement on his connection to Short. And in the end, Connors too was released and then with the exception of a few you know, notable, incredible s- suspects over the years, the case just kind of went cold. And again, oh. he sued and that kind of thing. But Eatwell believes that Dylan murdered Elizabeth Short on, at the behest of Hanson, whom he worked with. So oh. he, Hanson knew uh, Dylan. All right. And they believe that, she was, that Short was killed at the Astor Motel where Dylan had stayed and where, the mo- and where motel owners Henry and Clara Hoffman admitted finding on January 15th, 1947... The same day. The same day, yeah. One of their cabins was covered in blood and fecal matter. What? And they just sort of cleaned it up? Witnesses who stay at the hotel also remember seeing a dark-haired girl who resembled Elizabeth Short, as well as a man that fit Mark Hansen's description. I mean, I'm tempted to believe that, but at the same time, sometimes people's memories... Well, this also was all happening. I mean, these were reports of 1947, too. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like... This wasn't years later. Okay. So... Those are the three main people, uh-huh. and chances are it was two of the three mm. that were involved. So, in conclusion, John Douglas, the co-founder yeah. of the Behavioral Science Unit at the FBI, he did a profile of the killer, and of course, years later. Right. You know, and he believes that the killer was known to Elizabeth because he believes the savagery of the murder points that the killer wanted to inflict pain and dehumanize her. Right. And because of also, it, it's such a bad way to say it, but it, with the intimacy of the whole thing, mm. they just think that there's no way that, you know, this is one of those things where that you're trying to give do pain to somebody because you have so much 
anger towards that person versus it being like, I'm stalking you, this, that, or whatever. Um, so that was, that's what the belief is. So in the end, the case may never be solved as there isn't enough relevant forensic evidence and, and or like the powerful people of Hollywood or the police or whatever had buried all the knowledge and evidence on the murder. Mm. And it's only time will tell if there will ever be justice for Elizabeth Short. I'd rather call it Elizabeth Short because I feel like... Like the Black Dahlias. The justice should be... It's her. Yeah. Right? No, yeah. So, yeah. So, there you go. All right. Thank you very much. Right. That was for Jackie. That was for Jackie. <laughs> yeah, that's... what is it two in a row? Well, I can't even... No, not two in a row. But two now that I've been... Well, I thought her point was fair. That it the is anniversary like the was coming, whatever, that kind of thing. So, yeah. You guys can suggest your own subtopics if you want. You can email them yeah, to us. Something obscure would be cool, too. Yeah, like I like the. I little just feel like ones. that when you go through this and you're like, oh well, this podcast did, and that podcast did, and this. Yeah. Kind of, when you when you search something and like there's like five there, I just like it's been overdone. Right. Okay. Well, send us some, your stuff, and then I'll say our email and website at the end. All right. All right. So, my fun fact this week is about our good friend Harry Price. Uh huh. So. He, like we were talking about, he had a lot of famous cases. One of which was Jeff the Mongoose. (laughs) Did not know that. But he was very um, skeptical of that case. Says, like, he was, I mean, that was episode five, maybe? I thought it was episode four. I don't remember. I think it was the. First. No, you're right. I think it was episode five. We keep relating things to episode five, don't we? Yeah, it was episode five. Well, that's weird. You started with the episode yeah, five. Yeah, because with, with, with Jamie Kloss, yeah, and now, now you're ending it. we're ending with that. a reminder episode five. But yeah, he, he, yeah, you should listen to that episode. It was a very interesting story. Wouldn't you say? Yes. Hey, <laughs> it was an interesting story. It was. It was. Okay, well, yeah, this quote says, Price was less than enthusiastic about the case, concluding that the only that only the most credulous of individuals would be impressed with the evidence for Jeff. I like that he was skeptical. And then, of a talking mongoose. Well, I mean, I just, mean he, he went in skeptical and then yeah, I think that's what wanted he did. to be. So that's good. That's fine. Yeah, that's my fun fact. Cool. Um, so... Is there anything before I wrap it up? Uh, I don't think so. No? All right. Well, I think we got, we're getting a, I think we have now maybe three or four stories that you can start to do for there after we finish summarizing them, right? What? We have the one from, uh, that you're going to get that Japan ghost story. You have oh, from the, our listeners. I was yeah, so yeah. confused. You have that one. You have the one from Houston that you just, that your mom just talked about. That yes. I have a couple from my interview friends. There. Yeah, so you, you probably can get that in there. So now, those of you who don't know us personally, you should send in your stories, whether you've experienced something ghostly or something true crime-like or have an urban legend from where you grew up or currently live. Uh, you can send those to us at our Gmail, which is everythinginpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you could also send us fun facts. You can send us um, other suggestions for cases. Again, we would like like more obscure things that haven't been talked about a lot. So please do send us those. 
Uh, you can also submit them through our website, which is www.everythingpodcast.weebly.com. We also uh, share the visuals from each episode there. So you can look, you can see where we're available on what platforms like you can listen. And there's also some other fun stuff. Um, you can follow us on social media. We have Instagram at everything in podcast, Twitter at between underscore podcast. We have a Facebook page called everything in between podcast and a Facebook group by the same name. So find us there, follow friend, whatever the thing is probably should be more down with the terms for a 16 year old, but I'm not. Um, so yeah, say hi. And, uh, we announce new episodes mostly on our social media. So go there and uh oh yes i keep forgetting rate review and subscribe (laughs) if you're listening on apple Podcasts because it really really helps um and we like to read reviews even though we've gotten none so far but (laughs) it'd be great to read them if we ever do uh so i think that's about it and uh see you next time see you Bye. bye